there's two, there's kind of two parts to the, the way that I think about this. There is when do you need to hire somebody to manage learning? Sure. And when do you need to start thinking about the learning function? And I think there is never the, you can never be too early in your planning around how are we going to continue learning in this organization. Welcome to Making Better, a podcast from Better Everyday Studios devoted to helping small learning teams have a big impact. Today, we are talking to Brian Morrison, Senior Director of Learning and Development at Heart. Over the past 10 years, Brian has scaled the learning teams of some companies you have probably heard of, like Living Social, ZipRecruiter, and Bambi HR. Living in Long Beach with his wife, daughter, and two dogs, he is always trying to keep the good vibes flowing. So let's get started. Brian, welcome to the Making Better podcast. I'm so excited to talk to you. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Um, excited to be here. I'm in the middle of training a new cohort of sales reps. It's week one. Excellent. They're just getting up to speed on everything. So, um, you know, molding some some beautiful minds this week. So doing well. Awesome. That, that is one of the best things about our profession, I think, is there's there, one, there's always more to do and, and there's two, always new people to impact and help, which is so great. Yeah, um, I definitely uh, love variety and being in this position and having, you know, new hire class after new hire class get a chance to meet a bunch of new folks. So um, that's 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 that is a beautiful part about this job. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, the the intro to the show kind of went over just how extensive your experience is at scaling new learning teams. And so I'd love to start with just like the simple question of when does a company need learning? Because I think so many people, they, they come into established teams or they're at bigger companies. But when a company is just starting, and I often get asked this question, um, when, when is a company ready for learning? I, I honestly, look, there's two, there's kind of two parts to the, the way that I think about this. There is when do you need to hire somebody to manage learning? Sure. And when do you need to start thinking about the learning function? And I think there is never, you can never be too early in your, you know, kind of your planning around how are we going to continue learning in this organization? You know, scaling companies, one of the things that I think is the hardest thing for them to, to do is making sure that they're documenting processes and learnings that they're, you know, going through on this journey to whether it's profitability or funding or whatever their their goal is or their KPIs are. Because so many times when when I've joined these companies, it's been, hey, we got all this stuff and it's in like 10 different places. You can go to like, yeah. you know, we have a learn center over here and there's like a couple softwares where we got some like specs that, you know, <laughs> our engineers put together. So I, I think that, you know, for founders or for people that are just like, they're just getting, you know, to the point where they're, it's, it's inception and they're just starting. You can never start thinking about this too early because look, eventually you okay. are going to need a learning professional. You're going to need a trainer at some point in time. Why not have a little bit of infrastructure in place that they can take over, make their jobs a little bit easier. So again, I, I think, um, it's never too early to start thinking about it, start strategizing on how you're going to kind of, you know, give that, you know, um, give, give those teachings or those learnings that you've had early in your, you know, time as, as a founder to the next person that's going to maybe take that on. You know, eventually every founder gets to the point where they just can't be involved with everything. And yeah. at that point, you're going to have to have somebody that owns this. So, but it is one of those things that goes 
left, uh, you know, kind of it's an afterthought, right? Um, you know, everything else is accounted for, but the learning function is one of those things where at one point, either that founder or that, that team looks around and says, well, how do we scale this now? And we're going to need to take care of this, you know, this part of our organization and we don't have anybody to do it. Let's bring somebody in and have them figure it out. Right. Um, so yeah, got it. You got to do that early. And then, I mean, the second part is like when you hire that learning professional. And I think, you know, there's a number of things you have to evaluate there. Um, I think, if it's going to be a sales organization, probably earlier than other companies, you know, um, because, sense. you know, you need good salespeople. And regardless of what your thing is that you're, you know, kind of selling, there's going to be some nuance to it. And you want to figure out what's the best way to go to market? How do you sell it effectively? And you got to be able to replicate that. And the only way you can do that is tribal knowledge or you get somebody that's going to help you, you know, scale that team. So, um, look, it could be a player coach. You could have somebody that can run L and D and be a sales manager at the same time, you know, sales enablement, you know, sales manager. So, um, you know, there's a couple of ways you can handle that because obviously bootstrapping and, you know, being scrappy and all that stuff, you know, can sometimes prevent companies from wanting to pull the trigger on a learning hire, which totally makes sense. But there's certainly ways that you can do that in a scrappy way where you're not necessarily just earmarking this particular person is just doing the learning function. And I've, I've wore, I've wore that hat before. Yeah. So, so on that note, if it's not like the full time we're, we're devoting, we're diving into the L and D role fully, what are some things you've seen work um, for whether it's that player coach model or like, like what, what are some things you've seen work if you're not necessarily ready to like go full in, but, or even if you do have a learning team, what's helpful, how can though, if there's like a solo learning person, what are some effective ways they can use other people out in the business to learning ends? Yeah. So I'll touch on the first one first. Like, how is that, how have I seen it work effectively? I think what you look for is somebody that's multifaceted so that you can kind of check a couple of boxes. Now, the best person for that kind of role is somebody with an HR background, because now you have somebody mm. that can kind of serve to help you with some of your HR strategy, which again, I think can never happen early enough. If you've got a handful of employees, yep. you're going to need somebody that's going to be, you know, looking out for you from an HR perspective to make sure, you know, internally and externally, you're covering your bases. Um, and a lot of times, you know, HR professionals have a little bit of L&D experience in some capacity. You know, if they're SHRM certified or whatever, um, like myself, you're going to get some of that exposure to L&D through your certification. Absolutely. Um, so, so I think that is a great way to get somebody to be able to help you with the L&D function is make sure that, you know, they can do kind of more than one job. So that way, you know, look, yeah. you're paying for one person, but you're actually getting maybe two or three roles out of it, you know, because if it's super early on in the organization's development, you don't really need an, a full-time L&D person building a little content, doing some new hire classes, you know, maybe you're hiring one person a month or something like that. And then again, have them work on your policies, have them work on, you know, internal things around, you know, culture and, you know, things like that, that still need to start from somewhere. And um, that HR person can serve, serve the purpose. Um, now, the second part of that is um, having somebody um, in the L&D function that's a singular force. And, um, you know, outside of giving them a multitude of roles, 
when you get this person in the organization, um, I think having them approach all of the different areas of the business and figure out where are my subject matter experts? Who is the person that knows the most? Where can I find and where can I extract information from? Um, I'm only this singular force. So maybe during onboarding, it's me doing a lot, but then I can bring in subject matter experts. I can bring in the CEO. If the company's small enough, the CEO would probably be excited to do that, right? So you got to lean on yeah. all of the folks within the organization to kind of help you with that onboarding process. Um, help them put the content together. I mean, you know, a, a number of years ago, I met um, with a, uh, a head of L&D at a, a company in Santa Monica. And I, you know, we were just shooting the breeze and asked him, you know, how many, uh, how many uh, learning professionals do you have in your organization? He's like 371. I said, that's insane. What are you talking about? He's like, well, that's how many employees we have. And I was like, well, tell me. There you go. He's like, well, 371 people. What I did is I put a survey out and I said, who can teach our employees something? And everybody can teach something, right? So exactly we, th what they did is they started saying like, all right, so on Thursday afternoon, open forum. There's a class for bicycle repair. There's 10 seats available. Who wants to show up and learn something about bicycle repair? Everybody was teaching something. It's about creating the learning culture. Let everybody be an educator at, at a certain point. Everybody mm -hmm. usually when you're that small, that scrappy, you're usually pretty aligned with the goals and, you know, the vision uh, and mission. So get them involved and, you know, they can probably teach something. So I think the subject matter experts are important, but again, you can kind of lean on everybody to help out in that situation. That's so great. And I think it, you know, it really comes back to kind of the YouTube era and the creator area that we have of ever so many people are, are teaching other people yeah. with, without any formal training background. 100%. And then as us, as learning professionals, it kind of twists that where we're more, we're much more coach, um, you know, of learning of how to teach yep. people or then, um, traditional facilitators or standing on the stage, you know, teaching people. Yeah. It's a, it's a very different mindset. It is. I, I love doing that too. I love help because people get so excited when they like get the opportunity to teach and then giving them a couple, because yeah. they're always like, how did I do? How did I do? Was that, was that okay? You're like, you're great. Just be yourself. It's like, it's yeah. perfect. You did a great job. Like, you know, because they're so excited and you know, usually, I mean, look, we know this, but it's just about the way you're delivering is so much what, you know, it's such a big component of what the learning initiative is. The content is super important. The, the learning, you know, ag the agenda and everything is important. But if they're excited and they're delivering that way, I mean, that just that, that just makes it that really, you know, drives it home. So um, I love watching folks, you know, get excited and, you know, giving them the opportunity to, to kind of, you know, be the trainer. It's fun. Uh Absolutely. Though, though I totally agree with you on the, you know, having that energy is, is really at least half yeah. the battle. Um, do you provide any resources or what specific guidance do you give around, around the content, like of how to, you know, cause these are, I mean, that's, it's what we do. We yeah. take knowledge and reframe it and figure out like, what's the most important thing to talk about and make sure we're delivering it in the right format, but that's not what other people do. So what kind of guidance do you give people to make sure that they're not just like spouting off a bunch of facts or, or they're, they're delivering something that's really going to be impactful? Well, so <laughs> This is where I might get a little micromanagey because um, I like I love I love giving people that opportunity, but I also I feel it's very important as the person with the learning experience and the person that's like you know you know kind of done this for a while in the organization or or the person that's you know 
designated to do this, we should be the ambassador. We should be the, the co-host of the event. We should make sure, th- because look, at the end of the day, you can't teach somebody a crash, crash course and how to do this effectively in like a couple of days or a couple of weeks. You can give them the basics. You can tell them, you know, but sometimes people just, it's just not inherently what they're good at. And so I think if, if at all possible, you're the co-host and you, you, you kick it. the event off and you're, you, you, you get excited that we got this subject matter expert here. And then, you know, I will sometimes what I do is I get a sense, and I'm sure you you felt this before, you know when there's a little bit of a lull. I know when I should jump in and ask a question. And yes. I know when I yeah. should be like, feel, you know, pushing the audience to ask questions. And I know when it's time to take yeah. a break. And, you know, those things just, you know, from experience and from like, you know, what I do for a living every single day, I know when to do those things. So uh, that's what I encourage, you know, the learning professionals to do that are in that situation. Be the ambassador be the co-host, um, and, and that way you can make sure that the event goes off without a hitch because, you know, you're kind of, you know, ushering along a good experience. That's, that's such a great way to think about it. I, um, you know, it's almost like in some, in some, sometimes you're kind of like, you're that star student that's always ready to ask the question and stuff like that. Cause so often the crowd won't, yeah. and it's like, oh, the energy's dying down and you can, you can keep it going. I love yeah. that. that. That's a really great, great yeah, way. hundred percent. Awesome. So switching gears a little bit. So you've decided, you know, so, you know, there's, there's a difference between, you know, before you hire, after you hire a, a learning person, then you kind of dive in. One thing that I always find is interesting and surprising, honestly, in some companies is like where those needs crop up first, you know, whether it's a problem or just, you know, it becomes apparent. What are some different um, things that you have seen happen in the business that cause people to say like, okay, this is, we, we need to solve this. I mean, you mentioned one with, with the scaling where it's just like, okay, we're going to grow really fast. Um, have you seen other places where things commonly pop up? Yeah, I mean, look, I've worked a lot with HR teams account and and mostly HR and sales. Um, So a a lot of the problems that I see come from inefficiencies around the way that certain things are happening within the organization. You know, you look at whether it's retention of customers, it's the way that we're managing the accounts, it's how we're selling the customers and setting the expectations to make sure that the sales reps are, are selling the way that they should be selling and selling the right expectations. So when we get to account management, the, they're not going to churn within the first 30 days because the sales reps did an effective job of setting expectations. You know, working with salespeople is wonderful. Uh, in, inherently, I'm a salesperson yeah. at heart. But, you know, when you, when you give a salesperson commission, you know, sometimes what comes out of their mouth, what, what, what comes out of their mouth <laughs> might not necessarily align with what the expectations are of the product or the service. I, you look, I, you, yes. you, you got to give it to them. You know, they get creative sometimes in how they position things. But obviously that can be a huge issue when it comes to retention, when it comes to your turn rate, yeah. you know, and, and all the other things that can kind of, you know, you know, tie into that. So, you know, those are obviously some of the things that I've helped you know, alleviate in the past is like, how do we reduce churn? Um, how do we set the right expectations? And, you know, and those two things, I think, you know, are tied hand in hand. Sales reps got to sell the right way. And then that helps us with churn because when you get to account management, like this isn't what I expected. Well, you know, let's get them to the point where when they get there, it is what they expected because the sales reps, you know, know exactly 
um, how to sell and what's expected. So, um, and that kind of, um, you know, that in that falls into another issue that I've seen a lot, which is this inability for there to be good cross-functional um, communication. So it's like the engineering yes. team is over here. The product team is over here. They have their sprints and they are sprinting. Now there is sometimes, you know, especially even on small teams and there's only, you know, a handful of people in a company, there is a disconnect between their sprint, what's going to launch in two weeks and what the sales reps are actually saying every day on the phones. And so, you know, yeah. I've made it a point, you know, in my current organization, as soon as I came in, that was the, my focus is like, I need to make sure that the training team, because I've seen it one too many times where training needs to be that connective tissue behind, you know, yeah. around like what's coming down the pike um, with, you know, product rollouts and, you know, engineering, you know, bugs that are being fixed. Let's make sure that the sales team knows that. Let's update our script accordingly. Let's train everybody accordingly. And it's got to go all the way across to customer success, you know, so everybody is, you know, clear on that. And so I think that is a big part of where L&D can make major impact on a company of various sizes by just kind of like making sure that, you know, from an internal communication standpoint, you know, everybody's on the same page. I love that phrase that you used of connect being the connective yeah. tissue, because um, I think you're right, you know, especially at er earlier companies, not only are you right that everybody's just running as fast as they can. Um, and so it's it's understandable that they're not keeping up with one yeah. another. Um, but having that internal comms role is, is really good. And and kind of on that note, I, I would wonder, so when you come in, I mean, we, we chatted a little bit before this about how so rarely do we get to kind of like geek out on learning yep. stuff. <laughs> and I think every learning professional would resonate with the idea of you're in a company and nobody else in the company understands what you do. So when you're that first person that comes in and you're standing up the team, how do you level set expectations with the leadership with your leadership of like, you know, whether it's the CEO or head of HR, whoever you're you know, head of sales, um, what are the kinds of benchmarks that you set for success for your, for yourself and your function so that you can continue to grow? And obviously that's going to depend on what the needs are, but I'd love to kind of hear how, how you think about that. Yeah. I mean, so there's a couple of, a couple of components to that. Obviously it's like, what are your own personal goals within the role that you've taken? And then, you know, what are your, you know, and then obviously you're going to have, whether you're reporting to the CEO or you're reporting to the head of HR or whatever, you know, whoever you, you report to, they're going to have their own set of expectations. But I think for me, um, the biggest thing that we can do is get people excited about the fact that we are establishing a culture of learning within any organization hmm. and making that, you know, and, and again, that's why, you know, when I was talking about that, that um, L and D leader um, that I met a number of years ago that said, I have 371, you know, trainers, it's like, you know, that Come is on. a perfect example of a company that is, you know, as a flourishing, you know, uh, learning uh, culture. And, and I think that's the most important thing you can do, whether it's building programs, doing a book club. I mean, there's all kinds of things you can do. And this past summer, um, you know, I was interviewing with some companies and, you know, I was looking, you know, I was interviewing with, for a sales enablement role and I was, you know, doing a lot of research around how do you create an enablement charter? How do you create an L&D charter? And I think doing that is a great exercise for any learning professional to do. And I encourage if you don't have a learning charter, if you've never done that, you know, 
start doing some research. You can Google it. There's a ton of examples out there. I think is it is such an important thing to do. It's helped me so much as a learning professional because it gets you thinking about what are my goals? How do they align with what the goals are in the organization? And so I'm walking in and I know I've got my personal goals. They're aligned with the KPIs, the OKRs or whatever, you know, we're, we're calling them at the said organization. And, um, you know, it just gives you something to make sure you have focus. And, um, and that can come down to, you know, again, specifics around the KPIs and all that kind of stuff. Or it can be like within the first six months, I want to make sure that, you know, we have a good onboarding process for all employees and we have a new curriculum for the sales training. You know, it's just getting it in a documented form. So that way it's kind of like, you know, I mean, you can call it a 30, 60, 90, if you will. But again, it's just something it's a little bit more robust than that. It's just like having a defined plan and then getting the buy-in from all the stakeholders in your organization. Is it the CEO? Is it the CFO? Letting everybody know this is my plan. So now they feel confident that not only do we hire a learning professional, but this person has a plan in place. And we can feel confident that this person is going to be a, a, an actual contributor and we can tr a trusted advisor in our company. And they feel good about the person that they've brought into the organization. The tough part for us, as you know, is sometimes trying to show the actual benefits of our learning programs. It is that with, with all the things that are happening in an organization, you know, if the, the you know, revenue upticks a little bit over a particular quarter, how can you definitively tie that to your learning yeah. programs, you know? And so it's, and it becomes really difficult. And, you know, sometimes, um, you know, the learning professionals like, you know, a recruiter or something like that, they can be the first one to go if there's downsizing because they haven't been able to effectively show their value and, and their ties to, you know, the, the metrics that are important. So, again, I think it's really, really important right from the very beginning to position yourself as a professional that's going to make an impact. And I think having some sort of charter in place is a great first step in doing that. I love that for so many reasons. One, it, it's, it really is that forcing function of what we always talk about of getting aligned with the business yep. where it's, you know, it's just like, you're going to do this. But I think the second part I really love the most is, you, you know, learning is such a consistent need everywhere, whether it's formal or informal, yep. like every, every employee needs training, every manager needs something for their team and no training team can ever fully meet that need. And so how you explained it, kind of what I heard was a lot of, you know, writing it down, getting in line with your boss, but then floating it around all the other leadership. So everybody knows what you're working on, what you're promising on delivering, why you've made that a priority so that when you're not solving their pet project. They they already know that. They know why, and and they can give them an opportunity to say like, no, no, no. But my but my pet project should be on the list, and then you can have a whole debate. But um, I love that alignment and transparency. Yeah, and and you know if you think about it, you know the CEO, right? A lot of times they come up with like, this is the vision and my mission for the company. You can you can replicate something similar to that with your own learning yeah. team, you know. And I I always tell the sales reps that I'm training like you're running your own little business in this under in this umbrella of this company. And I think of you know running a learning team the same way. It's it's our own little 
you know, division of the business and our own little company and our stakeholders, our customers are the, you know, the executives in this company and all the people that we serve from a learning function. And, you know, I, uh, so I love to look at the folks as my customers, because then it's like, it's not just somebody that, you know, I shouldn't be getting frustrated with them. I shouldn't be get you know, it's like, yeah. would you treat I, so you think about it, like, would you treat a customer if you were in a customer success role or in a, you know, the way that you sometimes would think about, you know, your interactions with your coworkers, because sometimes the gloves come off with your coworkers and, you know, there's, you know, yeah. and there, there's a thin line there between professionalism and being unprofessional. And so as long as you always have that in mind, and I think, again, you can get into that mindset really quickly, by looking at this as like, hey, this is my charter. These are the customers that I'm serving. This is my mission. This is my vision. This is where I want to take this learning team. So I think that helps yeah. a lot. I love it. So, you know, so we talked about kind of the, the before learning starts and when learning starts and then kind of the goals that you typically have in an organization, but early on, but you also have helped grow learning teams at a lot of organizations. So once you get that, that charter in place and you're executing those skills, what have you seen is like, you know, the most common, like first hire, second hire, like what are the roles that typically get filled first as you're going from that solo learning person to two, three, four people. Yeah. So what I, so let me, let me, let me start by saying some of the pitfalls that have, I, uh, that I've experienced in, mm. in hiring. Mm -hmm. What I think you got to be really good at doing is when you're the first person on the learning team, you have got to be a utility player. You've got to be able to do a lot of different things. And I yep. think in a scaling organization, you have to get really, really good at being able to recruit and hire other utility players until your business is at the point where you can justify like actual isolated roles that have a singular function. Because the biggest mistake learning teams can make is saying, I need a data guy on the learning team. I need a content specialist on the learning team. I need a trainer for CS and I need a trainer for sales. And sometimes the getting is good. You just got a huge round of funding and like, <laughs> hey, let's hire. But then, you know, fast forward 14 months and, you know, they're tightening the belt a little bit. And now all of a sudden there's a headcount there and they're like, well, wait, what is that? They just train CS folks that we hire only once a month. And we haven't had a class in mm -hmm. two months, but what do they do besides that? You know, and now you're, you know, now they're looking at your, you know, your costs and saying like, yeah, maybe this doesn't make sense necessarily. So I think the most, the most important thing, you know, scaling learning teams can do is to find other utility players. They can do, they can do a little bit of content. They can deliver training. They can, you know, they're, they're decent at using data tables and, you know, maybe they can use some of the tools needed. Uh, if, if nothing else, use some Excel, you know, you got to find somebody that's going to be able to do a little bit of everything. Those are the most important yeah. and, and you can find them. They're out there. Um, and, you know, it's just, I think that is the most impactful thing I can recommend for scaling learning teams is find those utility players because, um, it just, you know, there's so much more impactful and, you know, it doesn't put as much pressure on you to justify the cost that you have now, um, for your headcount. So, uh, that's the best thing I think, uh, best advice I can give. 
I think that's that's really good advice because you know I, I think I see on LinkedIn and other places a lot a lot of debate about job titles and what they mean and what their functions are and and I always just come back to all that matters is the organization you're joining like the a job title doesn't have a meaning out in the ether that just exists um it's all about you know are you join and it it often comes down to are you joining a large company or a small company (laughs) like if you're joining a large enterprise company then maybe an e-learning developer is an e-learning developer (laughs) but if you join a company of under a thousand people they're not going to be just an e-learning developer 100 percent yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and so, and I, and I've had those conversations, you know, and, um, both ways where it's like, you know, we're getting to the point where we're getting to that thousand, you know, headcount, you know, point, And, you know, now we need to, you know, have bigger teams and, but predominantly I've worked from the ground up and, you know, with a couple hundred employees or a hundred employees even, and it's like, you're, it's going to be really, you're going to be really hard pressed to, to justify, a you know a headcount that does a singular role so yeah no 100 percent. well brian i want to be respectful of your time we could probably chat for a whole <laughs> lot longer given the wealth of experience that you have so i can already tell we should probably do this again sometime yeah, yeah, uh sure. is there any last things that you want to make sure we, we chat about yeah you know um i think it, it's just i'm so excited number one that somebody with your background um, and guys, if you if you don't know Matt's background, please check him out um, on LinkedIn because this guy, I mean, um, you know, I think um, you might have been to space um, or you've at least helped. Not quite. Not quite. <laughs> yeah. One day. Not there yet. <laughs> but I mean, you know, it's it, like for me, it is so awesome to see somebody like yourself that has such a an amazing pedigree and you, you've done so many things professionally. Um be out here with your megaphone that you have talking about how important the learning function is in organizations because you know it is in my opinion it's one of those things that is in some ways not celebrated as much as it should be you know and it is such an important function and if anybody's out there listening to this and you are starting a business or you have a small business and you don't, and you haven't started thinking about the learning function and how you were going to document what you've learned so far and what you're going to learn in the coming years and quarters, start doing that now because you're going to regret it. At some point, you're going to need to know all of this information. So whether that be, you know, you start creating some sort of Learn Center and Jira or Notion or whatever software you're using, start documenting Google Drive, whatever. Um, but, you know, start documenting the learnings that you've had so far. And you're going to thank yourself because when you hire that first learning professional, they're going to be able to just jump from that like a springboard into a pool. And it's going to be amazing what they're going to do for your organization. Yeah, from from your mouth to every founder's ears, exactly. couldn't couldn't say it better. Like the the earlier, the yeah. better. Awesome. Well, uh, Brian, it has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much, and I'm sure we will. Do yeah, it again. thanks, Matt. I appreciate the time, man. Great, great chat with you, and uh, have a great weekend.